Welcome to the Weekly Deep Dive Podcast on the Add-On Education Network, the podcast where we take a look at the weekly Come Follow Me discussion and try to add a little insight, unique perspective. I am your host, Jason Lloyd, here in the studio with our our friend and the show's producer, right. Nate Pfeiffer. It's the best change we've ever made on this show. It's a great change. Our friend, because mm-hmm. I am your friend. Yes, sir. Never forget that. How you doing, Nate? Never forget it. <laughs> I'm the friendliest dude you know. Casper over here, sitting next to me, the friendly. I'm the I'm the the least grumpy person you know. Trust me. <laughs> what are we talking about, that Jason? Might be a <laughs> oh, I'm so excited for today. This is the wrap up of Isaiah. The end. The last. Oh, the last I'm section. I'm excited of Isaiah. about today too. I knew that would get you. Oh, Isaiah, I love you, buddy, but it's time. No, this is really good. If I were to sum up today's lesson in in one phrase, it would be "Be like Jesus." Fantastic way to go out. Yeah, it's a it's a really good one. I I like what Isaiah is doing here. I like what he's talking about, and he's going to be talking about. I mean, I mean, if we were to sum up all of Isaiah, we started with. Israel, you've really messed up. The whole world's upside down. You're all going to get spanked. It's not good. I'm going to prophesy and tell the whole world what's going to happen. Come challenge me if you don't believe me. But at least wait until you see some of these things happen, and then we'll have a discussion. And, oh, yep, I was right. And now that I have your attention, let me tell you about Christ and the wonderful things about Christ, the restoration of the gospel. And now we're just going to put a bow on things with the end of the world times, but also talking a little bit more about Christ as well. Love it. Let's oh, do it. Yeah, should we, should we just get started? Should we just dive in? You no, know we should. Oh, wait. No, no. You wanted to say thank you to some maniacs that listen to this show. Oh, a, a salute, I guess. He wants to salute some people. And by the way, when he did tell me about this, I was like, we have some amazing diehard maniac fans. I, I We appreciate it. I was super impressed. when uh, I, It's Saturday when, when they said the evening session was for everybody. That's that's six hours of conference. I'm like, man, six hours of conference. That's a lot to go through. I don't. I don't think we'll have anyone listening to our show on Saturday. Because why would they? <laughs> right, just, like six hours of of church. Of actual like prophets of of like yeah, like a, a higher caliber people the speaking of, content. of some really good content. Like why 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 would you be scratching for another hour to to add on top of that? But I was impressed. There there was a lot of you out there, and my hat is off to you. For for the dedication you have to to learning as much as you can, you guys are wild. You are the heroes. You're wild heroes. That's even that's even better. You're the heroes. You're the heroes of this show. All right, our listeners. S- salute salute to you maniacs that couldn't couldn't get enough and still uh, gave us a listen. So thank you. You guys rock. All right, now we can get into it. Okay, Isaiah fifty eight. This is the law of the fast, and uh, it, it starts off kind of like. Isaiah does in, in chapter one when he's calling out the people and they're like, well, wait a second. We, we, we perform the laws and the rites and, and we sacrifice and, and God says, I don't care about your sacrifices anymore because your heart's not there. So it, it's kind of a similar deal here. Uh, let's just start. Um, verse one, cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet and show my people their transgressions and the house of Jacob their sins. And and I still love this this poetry you're seeing throughout everything, right? Show my people, 
and the house of Jacob. So my people, synonymous house of Jacob. Transgressions, sin, synonymous. Anyways, it's all throughout the whole book. Yet they seek me daily. And you're like, oh, wait, what? That, that doesn't sound like their sins. And delight to know my ways. Oh, wait, we're calling him out for seeking him daily and delighting to know his ways? As a nation that did righteousness and forsook not the ordinances of God, they ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching to God. And you're like, oh, well then what's so bad? Verse three, wherefore have we fasted, say they, and thou seest not? Wherefore have we afflicted our soul and thou takest no knowledge? Behold, and the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exact all of your labors. So here we, we, we almost have this argument kind of starting to fr- form itself. Like God says, show the people their transgressions, show them what's wrong. And they're like, even though they're seeking me regularly, they're delighting to know my ways, they're doing good things, they, 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 they're missing something. They ask of me the ordinance of justice. They take delight in approaching God. Wherefore have we fasted, say they, say they, and thou hast seen it not. So now they're accusing God and saying, we've done all these things. How come we've been fasting and you're not acknowledging it? You're not answering our fasts. Wherefore have we afflicted our soul? Why did we put our soul through this torture? And, and trust me, sometimes going without food is, is pretty torturous. And thou takest no knowledge. Why do you not care that we're fasting? So now they're accusing God. First, God's saying, show me your sins. They're like, well, we've been really good. Let's talk about your problems, God. Here we are fasting and afflicting ourselves, and you're not answering our fast, and you're not answering our afflictions. So now God's on the defense and he's going to say, behold, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exact all your labors. So the day of your fast, you're, you're finding pleasure in it and you're exacting your labors. Behold, you fast for strife and debate and to smite with the fist of wickedness. You shall not fast as you do this day to make your voice to be heard on high. So when he says, you, I don't want you fasting to have your voice heard on high. This to me sounds very similar to what we see in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. As I'm turning here, verse 16. Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou fastest, anoint thy head, wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto the Father which is in secret, that thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. So he's saying, yeah, you're fasting, but you're fasting for, for contentious reasons or for pride. Uh, what's the pride? The, the, the right way to say this? They're, they're doing it for attention. They're doing it to say, like, look at how righteous I am. And, 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 and this got me thinking as I'm, as I'm looking at this. God's going to call him out and he says, is it such a fast that I have chosen? A day for man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou call this fast an acceptable day to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I have chosen? So saying, you've done all these things, but look, didn't I ask you the whole purpose, the whole meaning for fasting was to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free that ye break every yoke. Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry 
and that thou bring the poor that are cast out of thy house when thou seest the naked and thou cover him and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh. So he's, he's almost calling them out as hypocrites. Like here you say you're fasting, but yet the poor and the, the ones that need food and that need to be taken care of, you're ignoring. You're not taking care of them. You're neglecting them. You're turning your head away from them. And the reason why you're fasting is for your own righteousness sake. You're fasting for your own benefit. The reason I gave you fast was to help these people and you're ignoring them. How, how is that helping these people? And, and where this gets a little bit interesting to me, I think we like to take everything and make it about ourselves. We, we have kind of a little tendency to do that. And here the Lord is giving a fast and he's asking us, to sacrifice of ourselves, our own food, our own uh, wanting to eat, put it on hold. And and now we're a little bit ahead, right? Because we saved money because we didn't have to eat. But then take that that we saved and use it to feed and to clothe and to take care of. And the whole purpose of the fast was not about you. It was about the person that you're clothing. And Christ is saying, come be like me. He is a savior And as the leader, as the savior, he subjected himself to pains. He put himself in our shoes who were not able to free ourselves. And having suffered what we suffered was then able to turn around and set us free of those. And he's saying, come follow me, be like me. You need to be a savior as well. You need to go through pains, not for your own sake. And that's what we're doing. We're going through these pains and we're like, look at how righteous I am because I'm like Christ. It goes back to that same argument the apostles were having. Who, which one of us is greater in the kingdom of heaven? Which one of us is going to be the best? Because I gave up this. I gave up that. Doesn't that make me better? And Christ is like, it's not about you. It's about these people. It's about setting them free. It's about helping them. And, and here's where I think we, we tend to make everything about us I think for me, the perfect example is when it comes to blessing food. And, and I say this, I don't, I don't want to be calling anyone out or making anyone feel bad. I'm just going to just try to float out a perspective here, take it for what it's worth. I, I hear so often, and, and I think this is, this is almost standard procedure, standard operating procedure when it comes to blessing the food that we bless it, that it will strengthen and nourish our bodies. Bless this food that it will bless us. That's the, that's the end goal of blessing this food, right? So that I can be better, so that I can be blessed, so that it's all about me again, right? Well, what if the purpose of blessing the food, because we're, we're, we're sustained by life. Life has to be supported by life. And think of the symbolism here. Anything we eat, I, I challenge you to find anything we eat. And there, there are some very, very few exceptions, but almost anything we eat required the life of something else in order to sustain us. Whether it's meat, and that's clear and easy to see, right? An animal died in order for us to eat of its body. But even if you're looking at a vegetarian diet, if you're taking plant-based food, you are taking the life of that plant and you're harvesting it. The word harvest means kill. You're killing that plant or 
you're killing its offspring, its ability to reproduce. If it's bread, you're taking the seeds from the wheat plant and you're grinding it up and you're killing it. You're taking yeast and causing it to explode and spill its guts out into the bread that it's going to feed us. If it's fruit, you're taking this seed, uh, eggs, or whatever the case may be, it's the ability to sustain life. It's life itself that is now being robbed to feed you. What if the purpose of a blessing, if you look at maybe Native Americans and what they did in their hist- in, in the history when it comes to showing appreciation for food, was to pray that the Lord would bless the life that was sacrificed to sustain us. What if it's not about us, it's about the life that went to, to make us, to give us life? Dear God, I am so grateful that, that this life died for me. And I pray that you will bless it for its sacrifice. I will pray that you will help me have the strength to make the right decisions to, to improve upon my life and to give of my life to sustain others the way that this food has given of itself to sustain me, that this food will see a blessing in what it's done, that it will feel fulfilled in having given its life knowing that it went to a good cause. What if that's the purpose of a blessing? Not so much, hey, bless this for me, that it'll make me better, that it's all about me. Maybe blessing is about something else. And I think that's what the Lord's calling them out for with the law of the fast. You've turned this fast on its head. Now it's become, make me more powerful, make me more spiritual, make me a better person and and look at how great I am because I'm doing it instead of, man, how do I humble myself and really take this opportunity to bless the life of somebody else? And so I hear what Isaiah is saying in the Old Testament times. I hear what Christ is saying in the New Testament times. And I see a pattern where this happens and I wonder if we are not falling into the same thing by turning it on its head and making it more about us. And I'm not saying it's wrong to fast for yourself, but I am saying it's, 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 I don't know, adding maybe a little perspective to it and take it for what it's worth. Yeah, I I also don't think it's bad to fast for yourself too and especially if you're in need of for, for some pretty specific blessings. I would say you should absolutely be fasting for the and showing God how serious you are about the blessings that maybe you know that you stand in need of. I think I think the point you if I understand correctly that you're making is there's a difference between fasting for yourself and fasting and just going around the ward on Sunday and be like, "Oh man, I'm so hungry because I'm fasting and I you know, I I've decided to fast even an extra eight hours just you know to be really serious about that and hey can you make sure to take a selfie of you and i with me looking all sickly (laughs) so that you can remember how righteous i am when you you know i think i think that's kind of the more of the point of if it's, it's not as much don't fast for yourself which i totally encourage but it's don't fast so that people will see how awesome you are in your obedience i guess yeah or maybe even the hypocrisy of you, you're fasting for these people to help them, but when you see these people, you're hiding from them. Sure, you're that's, not that's the to... other thing too. I mean, that's that's the whole that's the whole Pharisee Sadducees, not conundrum, but you know what I mean. Like the, it's it's the it's their role in the New Testament is is that these are the people that are supposed to be. I mean, they're trying to be the ones making themselves known for their piety and their um, righteousness. And they are the 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 ones that are just blowing it the whole time. 
Yeah. Well, and I, I love the guideline that it does give us when God says, is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bands of wickedness? And, and so if we are struggling with, with decisions in our life that, that we feel are captivating us, uh, bands of wickedness, and we need that help to loosen it, absolutely it's appropriate. That's the reason the Lord gave us that, is to be able to fast for that. So I'm not saying don't fast for yourself, but to loose yeah, the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free. Sure. So it's, it, it can definitely apply that to... That involves to, everybody. Uh, yes, yes. But, but be, be cognizant. And I love what Christ is doing, and I love, I love how he's given us the law of the fast and this opportunity to be like him, to follow in his footsteps and to be the, the term I like is saviors on Mount Zion. If, if he was a savior and we expect to be like him and to take his name upon us, then we should also expect that in some way we are also going to be saviors to others. And I think that's a large part of what this lesson is, this section in Isaiah is going to teach us. Let's, um, let's switch gears a little bit to verse 13. If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath from doing thy pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord honorable and shall honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words. And, and so I, I see this kind of a bridge from what we were talking with in the fast because you look at it, behold, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exact all your labors. So if they're fasting on a Sabbath and they're saying this is a Sabbath day, a holy day, but in that day of your fast, you're finding pleasure and exacting all your labors. It goes with what he's saying in verse 13. He's, he's saying, you've got to turn away your foot from the Sabbath and from doing what you like to do. And, and I don't, I, I absolutely am against any, any, any dictating what you can and can't do on the Sabbath day. And, and I think that's a deeply personal decision. And I'm not about to sit here and say this is bad or this is right or what you can or can't do. But I love the guidance that verse 13 gives because this is something that I have wondered about. And, and, I, and I've, you know, what, what is acceptable to the Lord on the Sabbath day? What, what type of activities should I be doing? What things should I be doing as a family? What things should I be doing for myself? And I look at the guidance here. Turn away thy foot from the Sabbath day from thy pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight. The holy of the Lord honorable and thou shalt honor him and not doing thine own ways nor finding thine own pleasure nor speaking thine own words. It's good guidance. It's good direction. And, and I think we can even take this back to that, that selfish nature we have where we keep turning things about us. Uh, talking about the Sabbath day, this is my day of rest. I'm going to do what I want to do on this day of rest. I mean, God rested, so I should be resting too. And, and yes, but this is also the Lord's day that he's given and he's asking us to turn away from our pleasures and what we would normally do to be able to do what he would have us do. And, and so there's, I don't, I don't know, it just kind of fits and flows to me going from, from fasting to Sabbath day observance and this idea of stop turning the attention and the focus on yourself and what you get out of it and start turning it outward and seeing how you can serve the Lord with it. Sweet. All right, let's move on. Let's go to, I'm actually gonna skip 59. It's, if it's a good chapter. And, and maybe we can come back and talk about it later, but I'm, I'm going to 
for, for interest of time, I want to talk about a few other things first. And, and we've talked, so I'm going to go into 61 and 60 and bounce back and forth a little bit. When we talk about the image of the branch or the image of the tree, right? The tree of life. I've, I've been harping on this in the Old Testament that this is an image of Christ. And you'll find that in the Old Testament as a name of Christ. It'll actually have it in all caps, the branch. And he's a branch from the house of David. And, and it makes a lot of sense. We're talking about these, these parables to refer to him as the tree of life. We talked about Revelation when John was in the temple and he heard a voice and he turns and he sees the menorah. But then in the midst of the menorah, he sees Christ and he hears his voice. We saw Nephi when he was asking about what is the tree of life and he sees the birth of the Savior for God so loved the world that he sent his son and he gets it and he realizes that Christ is the tree of life and the fruit is the atonement. If we partake of that, we, we gain salvation. Having said that, now, look at Isaiah chapter 61, verse 3. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And we're talking about Zion arising from the dust, right? So she was naked and ashamed and she sat there in the dust, but now she's going to arise. She's going to have beauty where before she had ashes. She's going to have oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of being naked, instead of just a spirit of heaviness. That they may be called, so speaking of Zion, speaking of her garments, the people that, that, that are part of Zion, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. You're like, wait, what does the tree symbolize? I thought it was a symbol of Christ. And here Isaiah is saying, it's a symbol of the people. And you, and you see it. And so if I back up into 60, verse uh, 13, the glory of Lebanon shall come unto thee, the fir tree the pine tree and the box together to beautify the palace of my sanctuary that I make the palace of my feet glorious, that I will make the place of my feet glorious. Excuse me. This is talking literally of trees because you used a bunch of different trees from Lebanon that were part of the temple. And we talked about the diversity of the building materials in Lebanon and coming together of the different areas that, that went into building the temple, which is beautiful. But it's also talking, remember, The Lord says to those that overcome, I will make a pillar in my house. He's referring to these people as different trees that are going to participate in this. And you see it also at the end of of that chapter in verse 21, thy people shall also be righteous. They shall inherit the land forever, the branch of my planting. You're like, wait, in Isaiah 53, he shall go up as a branch and now he's saying, these, my people, will be the branch of my planting. And so it's a very similar uh, language. And if we were to track, it, I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be happening all throughout the Bible. Uh, verse, verse 11 in chapter 61, For as the earth bringeth forth her bud, and as the garden causeth the thing that are sown in the, to spring forth, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise the spring, um, praise to spring forth before all the nations. All these people are going to spring forth and bud like branches and trees. Um, you see it in Psalms chapter one, verse three, 
And, and this is, when we're talking about Psalms, remember, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scorners. And verse three, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. And I'm, I'm not gonna go through all of the examples of this. Um, Jacob five though, is one that really stands out because you have the allegory of the olive tree and you're taking the branches and you're scattering them through other parts of the vineyard and you're taking the scattered parts of the vineyard branches off of those and bringing it back into this tree. And again, these trees and branches signify people. And, and that's, this is what Isaiah is gonna be doing. It's, it's very beautiful Go back to last week's lesson, 53. All we like sheep have gone astray in verse six. We've all turned away like sheep. But then verse seven, he was oppressed and, he's not, and he was afflicted. So now we're not talking about us anymore. We're talking about the Messiah. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughterer and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. So who is the sheep? Is it us? All of us like sheep have gone astray. Or is it Christ who was brought as a sheep to her shears is dumb? And it's both. Who is the shepherd? I am the good shepherd. But what does he say when he is leaving? Feed my sheep. You are the shepherd. It's the same. And I love how powerful it is that Christ uses the same images to describe himself, to describe us. You keep looking for a God, but I'm telling you, as God, I will be man. I will be just like you. I'm going to be like you. I'm going to die like you. But the flip side is also true because we're the same. And just as Christ resurrected three days later, we also will resurrect. Just as Christ inherits all that the Lord has, we also inherit what the Lord has. As he becomes God, we also become God because we are the same. I mean, in Third Nephi and in the Sermon on the Mount, he literally commands us to be savers of men, saviors of men in Third Nephi specifically. Yes. And, and go back to the law of the fast. Here he is, the bread of life, and he is giving of himself to feed the poor and to, to let the oppressed go free and to take care of those that don't have their own. And he's saying, by the way, I need you to do the exact same thing. If you're going to be like me, you're going to come follow me. You need to be the bread of life. You need to take what you would have eaten and find a way to provide that bread to others. And think of it, it's the law of the fast is almost like the sacrament. As we sit there and take of his body and drink of his blood and find sustenance in him and what he gave to give us life, we are also finding a way to sacrifice ourselves, sacrifice of what we would have, sacrifice our sustenance to set someone else free, to provide for someone else, to help them go free. We are, like you said, Nate, savers, saviors. Well, he, yeah, that's the, is in, uh, I'm trying to remember what chapter it's in. I think it's 12 or 13, 12, I think in third Nephi, where he's, he's, he repeats the sermon on the Mount stuff, the salt of the earth and the, and you know, if the earth loots its, its savor, but I think it's, I mean, I think it's only a few chapters later. I'd have to look, but he literally changes the word to the salt of the earth and, and saviors of men. And it talks about it in doctrine and covenants as well. 
Uh, yes, excellent. Uses the word saviors of men and not just the savers of men. Not not just the salt that has savor, but then yes. also the salt. I mean, it, it's it's kind of cool the, the, yeah, the switch of properties because you're talking about it on a flavor perspective. Then all of a sudden he's saying, well, well this is also a preservative. I'm expecting more than just a flavor. I'm expecting you to save yeah. this people. And it's in the same, it's in the same talk about, you know, let your light shine and, you know, so so it even gives you an instruction on how to be save save your saviors of men, which is, as we've talked about, part of the threefold mission of the church. Yes, and we've we've got. I mean, it's it's a, you know, we we heard a talk today in conference about the various names of Christ, and um, I know it was mentioned in the talk that some are preserved, you know, or some are reserved only for Jesus, and I. I would like to know which ones those are because uh, everything that I've read are all things that either Christ has told us to take upon ourselves or that we've been commanded to take upon ourselves. I, I guess I'm not sure which ones are only for Christ that we should, names that are only for Christ that we shouldn't be taking upon for ourselves. Yeah, if we're the same person, I mean, don't we, if we're taking that name upon us and to me the the beauty of the sacrament is is when you're taking his name upon you and you're taking his bread the the body and the blood and and the prayer itself is that his spirit might be with you so now we have name the physical nature of his body and his spirit on condition that you keep his commandments that you do that you act as he would so what else can there be if you've got the actions the spirit, the soul, the, the the spiritual side, the physical aspect, and the name, it's... Well, doesn't he command us all to become one with him, just like he and his Father and the Holy Ghost are one? Yes. I guess I'm just saying, like, I I, I guess my question is, is how far... How, how, how far f- do you take that's that? That's exactly right. Like, how far are you... Well, how far are you willing to... How far are you willing to take what Christ has told you to do? And, and we've talked about this a little bit, and we'll probably talk about it in the New Testament... But a lot of Christ lost a lot of followers the day that he basically said, I need you to eat my body and drink my blood. Yeah. And from that day on, a lot of people stopped following him. It was a hard thing to take. And there's and this is kind of this is this is the kind of the ever looming question of like, how much do you trust in what Christ actually says he's gonna do or wants you to do, right? Like when he when he says, take upon you you my name but not that one you know <laughs> i don't know i'm just i guess i'm just saying like and i'm and i'm not even doing this to like as like commentary on the talk today but but kind of which is you know it's like well some are reserved only for christ i'm like oh man maybe i i don't know in anywhere in the scriptures where it says take upon my name or take upon my yoke or become one with me except for that way I'm just like, well, I don't, I don't see any exceptions, and I might be wrong, and maybe there are some, and I would be totally fine to accept that as something that I'm missing. But I think it's more powerful the fact that he doesn't say, accept this one. Take upon myself all of this, accept that part. He doesn't say that. And as far as he commands us to be saviors of men, and you're just like, oh, okay, cool, because I would think that that would be like the ultimate name that you you can't take upon yourself right but then when christ himself is the one saying no literally do this one then i'm like okay well that kind of eliminates the obvious one for me 
Yeah, I'm with you. I, I, this, this would be a fun exercise to do. To, to I mean, obviously, he did a lot of great research in, in discovering all of the names of Christ, but taking a list of those and saying, okay, which one... Which one are you not would, supposed to be taking? Which one would not apply to me? That's because, right. Because you say this, I mean, go back. You, you, you might say the only begotten, right? Well, maybe that doesn't apply. But then go back to Isaiah 53 is he is travailing to deliver you and you are born again and That's he sees right. his seed. Are you not begotten through him? Now yes. you are a son of God. Even if you even if you don't necessarily believe that you were a son of God, you have been born of God to be a God. I've, and therefore should take upon all of the responsibility. And I think that that's the point too, is that it's not just an exercise in semantics. It's, it's. What does it mean to be That's exactly this? right. Is what is the responsibility then that, that is associated with that? And if that's the case, like, then I think maybe that might explain why it may be hard sometimes to go, well, I can't possibly take that name upon myself. You know what I mean? Like, but th- because of all of the responsibility or, or the expectations that come with that, right? Or the work that would come with that. And it's just like, oh no, all that tells me is that I'm blowing it and probably need to step it up, you know? And, and if we are supposed to take upon ourselves his name, I don't think that there's any exceptions in what, what name of his we should accept the responsibility for and therefore as somebody that is constantly blowing it it's like well i don't have an i don't have an out here i don't have like an easy out because even the name alpha and omega do we not believe we were there in the beginning with god creating this world right and that when he comes again he will be bringing saints from heaven down with him that we will be in some way or another with him at the the wrap-up of this event yes it's a it's a it's a beautiful thought I just, the, the heaviness of the responsibility is kind of what I would just, <laughs> I mean, it's, it is a beautiful thought, but it's also like, step it up, I guess. All right, let's keep going. Yeah, well, and did we mention, because I feel like we need to mention if I, if I didn't, the story of Jacob and Esau. Oh, we've definitely talked about it, but let's talk about it again. I, I think it needs to be mentioned in this episode because we're going to be getting to this again, this idea that, that, the reason why Jacob was able to get the blessing from his father was impersonating his older brother by taking the clothes that he would wear and and then saying his name, taking his name upon him and behaving as he would behave and serving him the venison, that the symbolism of that event is going to play a, a part in Isaiah here in the next chapter or so. So I bring that up just as a reminder because we will go there again. Okay. Um, let's... Let's let me ask this question for all of you out there listening. Who is the bridegroom? Right? That that seems like an obvious one. We're waiting for the groom to come. We've talked about Israel being the wife and the bride that's going to be waiting for him and the groom and the bridegroom cometh and they're going to marry. I think without reservations most of us would be able to say that that is Christ. Yeah? So Isaiah 62 now, verse 5. For as thy, excuse me, for as a young man marrieth a virgin, so shall thy sons marry thee. Wait a second. He's talking about Israel and he's saying, your sons are going to marry you. So who's the groom? It's, it's, the, it's Israel's. So who's Israel's sons? So we talked about this last week with Isaiah. Uh, Christ gave his life to Israel 
so that she could have children. And 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 he says, where's the bill of your mother's divorce, right? The, the, the mother is the church, Israel, Zion, and her children, her offspring are now you that accept his soul as an offering for sin and you're born again, you become his children. And, and now they're saying, actually, the children are going to be the groom. So shall thy sons marry thee. And as the bridegroom rejoiceth over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. You're like, wait a second. I thought the groom was exclusive to Christ. Going back to what you were saying, Nate, if that's a name or a title of Christ and we're taking that name upon us, here Isaiah is saying, guess what? You are the grooms that are going to be marrying the church. You are taking that role of Christ. So he is the branch, we are the branch. He is the sheep, we are the sheep. He is the shepherd, we are the shepherd. He is the groom. Guess what? We're expected to be the groom as well. And, and, and this fits so beautifully with the talk that Elder Bednar gave when he was going through the New Testament and, and the story about the wedding feast, the king that had his son that was getting married. And, and the people that were originally invited refused to show up. And, and so he said, invite the strangers in. And he's pulling them off the streets. And in order to dress them, he is giving them clothes from his own closet, right? He's dressing them in his apparel so that they can be there at the feast. And you have the one that shows up that's not wearing it. And he first approaches him and says, friend, why are you not wearing this? What, friend, I've got some clothes. You, you, you need to fit in. Let me clothe you. And, and yet he still refuses to put on the garments. And so he says, bind them and cast them out. And, and I love the explanation he gave there. Uh, but I think, you know, go back to this, the young man marrying the bridegroom in this, in this feast. Go back to Isaiah 61, uh, verse 10. And I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with jewels. So who is the groom? He has clothed me as the groom. And, and this idea of clothing, we, we've talked about this with Adam and Eve when they found themselves naked in the garden. And to cover kafar, kippur, yom kippur, day of atonement, is, is literally in Hebrew, atonement. And so when we go back and read this, and the sense of clothing someone is covering them, is atoning for them, just as Christ made coats of skin to cover their nakedness in the beginning. For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. And the Hebrew word salvation, um, Yeshua, it's the same as the Greek Jesus. He hath clothed me with the garments of Jesus. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and as a, Jew, a bride adorneth herself with jewels. And we talked about Israel being naked as, as she's stripped of, there is no covering, there is no atonement for her. She's gonna have to go through this, this process, this, this refinement, and the nations are gonna come and purge her and carry her away. And, and the chapter that we skipped today, it's gonna talk about how they howl and they've changed and they've repented and they've turned to the Lord 
but the nations don't listen. The nations don't accept their repentance. The nations don't put them back and reestablish them. And because there is no judgment to be found among the nations and the nations aren't reestablishing them, God has to step in now and punish the nations for missing judgment and now take them and restore them and clothe them and make them beautiful. And, and that clothing is atonement. So when you go back to the parable that, that Elder Bednar, if, if you want to listen to his talk again, such a beautiful talk, but take that one little missing piece, the idea that the covering, the clothing is the atonement of Jesus Christ. And anyone who's rejecting the clothing is, is rejecting the atonement of Christ. They refuse to put on his clothes. Jacob had to put on Esau's clothes in order to be blessed by his father and and receive that. And now when we talk about Christ inheriting a double portion, these two nations, and Esau representing that Gentile nation or, or, or us, these outsiders, we have to put on the clothing of Israel. We have to become Israel. And it's kind of cool to see that, that full circle that now Edom has to impersonate Jacob to receive the blessings of the Lord, to be clothed in the atonement, to receive that. If, if we don't adorn ourselves as the groom, if we're not the groom, then we're not getting married to the bride. If we're not the groom, then we're not Christ. If we're not Christ, no man cometh unto the Father except by me. Only through Christ do we get that blessing. Only through Christ do we get that inheritance. And if we try to approach God through any other way that's not Christ. We try to, to, to go around the wall or to, to build a shortcut or to take a different route. It's not going to work. Something that I kind of just want to jump in here for a minute. There's, I, I love that you've brought up again the idea of Jacob initially needing to put on um, Esau's clothes to receive the blessing and then now the role reversal, right, of, of the Gentiles needing to put on the, um, the clothes or, or, or the, the disguise of um, Israel, right, to get that blessing, Jacob to get that blessing. And we've talked about this a little bit when we talked about Joseph um, um, coming out of Egypt and about how his sons Ephraim and Manasseh, who were not part of the covenant originally, um, or outside of, I guess, Israel, not necessarily not part of the covenant, but but they weren't they weren't sons of Jacob, but were adopted in as equals as the other sons of Jacob. Am I am I understanding this correctly? Yeah, that's a that's a fascinating point because Joseph gets a double portion, and, and we're talking about a double portion, right? We're talking about the house of Israel and these yes. Gentiles, and so you know, kind of something that we did talk about back then, but I think it's worth bringing up again is the idea that as Gentiles, we sometimes, I think, look at ourselves as like, well, now we are the we are the covenant people, God's beloved people, and everybody else outside of us are the outsiders that need to come and join us as Christians, which, you know, on some level, yes, yes, we are trying to have everybody become Christian, but, but the the idea is is what we are actually trying to do though is become adopted into the um, house of Israel right we are we are doing what we can to be adopted into the covenant that God made with Abraham Isaac and Jacob and kind of like the um, Joseph's sons 
Ephraim and Manasseh. That's that's the Gentiles. We're doing what we can to become part of the house of Israel, and it's not the other way around. Am I am I am I saying that in a understandable way? <laughs> yeah. So if I if I follow what you're saying, Ephraim and Manasseh are receiving inheritances with their uncles. They're not part naturally of that family. They're almost adopted into that they family are, yeah. because Joseph receives that double portion. So we're looking at this as we are being grafted into original Israel, yes. just like Ephraim and Manasseh. We are becoming part of something that maybe we weren't originally a part of. And and yeah, and it makes sense now with with this with kind of what we've been talking about, right? Which is which is Christ now coming from Edom, or or like you kind of again so kind of like eloquently put. Now it's Esau basically coming into to become, you know what I mean? To, to disguise himself now to become as the outsider back into the house of Israel. I don't know. Yeah. I, that's at least what it made me think of. That's the, that's the, at least the, the perspective I'm looking at it. I'm, 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 I mean, to, we've talked me, about this in the past though, right? This is, this isn't, this isn't new, right? That the Gentiles will need to, that us Gentiles to become part of the covenant need to do what we can to, to be adopted into God's covenant people. And and maybe it's worth mentioning how do we put on those clothes? How do we become adorned? How do we become the bridegroom? And and the sense is like you're saying if we're going to have to be born into this or grafted or adopted into this family, uh, go back to Isaiah 53 that when you make his soul an offering for sin, when you covenant with him and now his sacrifice validates you. You become Israel. You become that house. And it really does go to the covenant path, making that commitment. Baptism, you covenant, and, and you follow him and take his name. You become part of that family. Awesome. Something that's, that's going to be referenced in Isaiah 63, for the day of vengeance is in mine heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. This is something that's repeated four times in the scriptures. We have Isaiah 63, verse 4. We're going to have Isaiah 61, verse 2. We're going to have Isaiah 34, verse 8. And we're actually going to have it repeat in Doctrine and Covenants 133, 52 through 53. It might show up more than that, but at least in these four cases, the day of vengeance is in mine heart and the year of my redeemed is to come. And I love that contrast. The Lord's going to come. He's going to come upset. He's going to come angry. But followed by a day of vengeance is a whole year of redemption, is a whole year of justice, is a whole year of salvation. And the idea that the salvation lasts a whole year where vengeance only lasts one day, obviously the redemption, the redeeming process is much greater than than the affliction that was going to come. And as we talk about this nation that is also, remember, a symbol of Christ. Remember, we go back to last lesson. We talked about Jacob, he being the servant that turned his back to the smiters and they plucked the hair on his cheek and they're saying, this is, a, this is Israel. They're being smitten by Babylon. They're going through this. But then this is also a symbol of Christ who turned his back to the smiters who, who was crucified for our sins. And, and this other, I mean, it melts with what Isaiah is telling us in our, in, in our discussion today that Jacob, if you want to be Israel, has to become Christ. They are one and the same. 
And, and what's going to happen after the crucifixion and after the redemption is going to be an, an inheritance, a blessing. And if you go back to Job, what he inherits and, and what he receives is a double portion. 3,000 sheep turn into 6,000 or 7,000 turn into 14,000. You should start going through those numbers. So Isaiah 61 verse 7, for your shame, you shall have double. And for confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess the double everlasting joy unto them. For the Lord loved judgment. Um, And we're going to talk about this double portion Christ, after he dies on the cross, after he effects the atonement, and then after he rises again, he is going to receive a double portion as well. Just as he's talking about Jacob receiving a double portion, and they're one and the same, Christ receives a double portion. His double portion is going to be the Gentiles. He inherits the Jews and the nations. These two, right? The Jews and the Gentiles. And you're going to see it right here. For I, the Lord, love judgment. I hate robbery for burnt offerings, and I will direct their work in truth, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Who are you talking about? Verse 9, and their seed shall be known among the Gentiles, and their offspring among the people. All that see them shall acknowledge them, and and that they are the seed which the Lord hath blessed. So he's talking about inheriting not just the Jews after the atonement, but the Gentiles. And you're going to see this again. And in 63, you're going to talk a lot about this. Verse 16, um, doubtless thou art our father, though Abraham be ignorant of us and Israel acknowledged us not. Thou, O Lord, art our father, our redeemer. Thy name is everlasting. And we see this even again. Look at Isaiah 65, verse 1. I am sought of them that ask not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. I said, behold me, behold me unto a nation that was not called by my name. He's inheriting the nations, these people that used to be worshiping other gods or pagan or whatever their background might be, but he's receiving them as his double portion. He's receiving those that never sought him. They're receiving those that didn't call Abraham their father because Abraham didn't recognize their line. They, they've all been adopted in now, this, this, this double portion. And I see that in connection, if we go to Isaiah 63, when they're talking at verse 11, then he remembered the days of old, Moses and his people. So if he's saying he remembered the days of old, they, they've forgotten this. If they're remembering it, then he remembered because he had forgotten the days of old, Moses and his people saying, where is he that brought them up of the sea with the shepherd of his flock? Where is he that put his Holy Spirit within him that led him by the right hand of Moses with the glorious arm, dividing the water before him to make himself an everlasting name that led them through the deep as an horse in the wilderness that they should not stumble. Obviously, we're talking about the very first gathering of Israel coming from Egypt into the land of Israel as Moses brought them out in the Exodus. But he's talking about having forgot this. And and why would you forget something that significant or that important? And I think Jeremiah gives us a little bit more context to this in Jeremiah 16, verses 14 through 16. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that it shall no more be said, the Lord liveth that brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. 
That's why you forgot. They don't say that anymore. But the Lord liveth that brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north and from the lands whither he had driven them. And I will bring them again unto their land and I gave, that I gave unto their fathers. Behold, I will send for many fishers, saith the Lord, and they shall fish them. And after will I send for many hunters and they shall hunt them from every mountain and from every hill and from out of the holes of the rocks. And I look at that and I see the fulfillment. Or were you going to say something? Nate? No. Okay, sorry. I see the fulfillment of Christ after he dies when he, when, when he gathers his missionaries and he sends them to the Gentiles and they inherit it, they're going to go through this darkness, this apostasy. When the Lord comes again, he's going to come to the Gentiles and he's going to restore Israel and bring them back. And he's going to inherit both his double portion again. He's got two nations to collect, the, the Gentiles and the Jews, the house of Israel. And, and I think I, you don't have to read it this way. But I wonder, Isaiah 63, verse 1, if this isn't another sign that when the Lord comes, you look at, you look at Elijah. When he came on Passover in, in 1836, there were Jews all over the world that had set a place for him in their homes as they commemorated Passover. And to none of those did he come, just as Christ says in the New Testament. But to none of the widows that were starving in Israel that didn't have the word of God in Israel did Elijah come, but to this outsider, this, this woman that, that was not from the house of Israel, and he gave her the bread that would never fail. I think Christ is also going to come, and you see this. Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Bozrah? So look at Edom. Edom, if you remember, is, it, it means red in Hebrew, and it was applied to Esau. Esau was the one that was hairy and, and he had 12 sons and 12 kingdoms and he had his, his, his nations that were established, right? And, and interesting enough, Bosrah is actually the place where Jobab reigns from when he was king. And, and some think that Jobab is the same Job that we read about in, in the book of Job. But Bosrah in Hebrew means the flock, a, a, a group of sheep. So when Christ comes the second time, He's not coming from Israel. He's coming from Edom. That, that, that's interesting. And, and so I look at that with what Isaiah says or what, what the scriptures say, when the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Is he not going to come unto Israel like he did the first time? Is he now going to come to the Gentiles, to, to the outsiders? And, I, and I'm wondering if Edom isn't a symbol of outside of Israel to a flock that he has there to gather his sheep. And that now these are going to act as the Gentiles, the nursing fathers and the nursing mothers that are going to be gathering and hunting and fishing and restoring them just as he had come to the house of Israel and the house of Israel were the hunters and the fishers of men that went to the Gentiles and gathered and restored them. And, we, and I think that's what we're seeing here in the second coming. When he comes again, it's going to be from, from the other nations that he's inherited, that he's going to gather them. And they're going to ask, so how do we know this is him? When they say, who is he that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Bosra that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength? The fact that he's traveling in the greatness of his own strength by his own power, usually that's, a, that's something referred to God as he travels in the Old Testament. The Heath Pyle version of the word to walk is to go forth by his own power. But he answers, 
I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. There's a title of Christ. And then so the next question, wherefore, why are you red in thine apparel and thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat? I have trodden the wine press alone. So he's answering again. And of the people there, there was none with me. For I will tread them in mine anger and trample them in my fury. And their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments and I will stain all my raiment. And, and I see dual fulfillment in this. When, when Christ first came in the garden of Gethsemane, he separated himself alone. And in that moment of fury, because you remember in the garden, he is taking the wrath of the Lord upon him. He is being pressed for the sins of the world. This is a day of vengeance that he is paying the price for the sins of everyone. And in that day of vengeance follows a year of redeemed because of what he did. It's the, the redemption is so much greater and it spreads out. But then you also look at how he's coming again and the punishments that befell the nations of the world and all that happened surrounding the restoration of the gospel. And, and there was a lot of blood. There was a lot of wrath. There was a lot of destruction. And then the gospel is restored and it's followed with, with peace to the world. This, this message that, that's bringing people in and gathering them and putting them back. At least, at, at least that's what I like to think of as I read it. I'm not saying that's the right interpretation, but to me, it's a perspective that, that, that makes a little bit of sense as I, as I try to understand Isaiah and what he's talking about as far as Christ coming a second time. It's awesome. So. Okay, let's keep going. Yeah, that's, that, that's about, that's about it. I mean, we've, we've, we've got my, my big takeaway from this, as I read about the second coming, as I read about him coming and the, the, you're going to read about the wolf and the lamb shall feed together the lion and the bullock. And a lot of this is things that we've talked about with Isaiah. The only way these things are going to happen though, is if we truly do, as you've mentioned, Nate, understand what it means to follow him, the responsibility behind taking that name upon us. If we behave like him, and, and if I could just think of, of all the problems that we have in the world today, what would be solved if we were to act like Christ? No, oh, I mean, that's... <laughs> That's like, I don't know if I would necessarily call it like a loaded question, but it definitely is just like, uh, unfortunately, it's just sad that that can never happen. But you you know, would 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 you deny somebody employment based off of their their background, the color of their skin, or, oh, or yeah, whatever? Of course not. If you were like Christ, if. If, if it was Christ offering employment, wouldn't he be looking for the downtrodden to try to alleviate them, to let the captive go free? Wouldn't he be trying to give them opportunities? Well, and also be giving them responsibility, as we've learned through the parable too, which, by the way, is how people find fulfillment in life and people find self-worth is through doing hard things. Absolutely. That's a great point. As you look at the... The man at the, the the different hours that was giving out the wage and providing them with an opportunity to to earn the day's wage. But he would be he would be a fair boss. He would be a merciful boss. But he would be a just boss. I, it's just yeah. I mean that it's when you. I, I guess that's why the question is so funny is because when you look at that in every context of your daily life, and maybe that's maybe that's the answer, right? Maybe that's the responsibility that we 
are supposed to be taking upon ourselves when we say we're taking upon ourselves the name of Christ is trying to see these things in our daily interactions, right? But that's, yes, think about that. Like what, how is Christ as a boss? And it's funny because some people will be like, oh, he would just be happy if you showed up. I'm like, no, I don't, I don't think that. No. Some people would be like, well, maybe he would be a, a like a crazy mean task, you know, master. And I'm like, ah, that's obviously not it either. But you, you see, it's like, but people I feel like kind of do this, right? They try to say, well, what political party would Jesus be to? I'd be like, none, first of all, is the answer to that question. But but people try to do everything they can to, it, instead of taking upon the name of Christ, they almost try to take Christ and make him fit into their name or to their view. That, right? that almost takes it full circle. Like at the beginning, that idea of that selfish perspective, it's almost like we're putting our name on Christ instead. We're turning the attention and the focus on ourselves. Like any argument you ever read on the the dirt mud hole that is like social media, have you ever noticed that nobody ever says, well, I believe this, but I'm sure Christ would be different than that. Nobody ever says that. When they're when when people are trying to argue like a Christian way of doing things, strangely enough, everybody feels like whatever their political leanings and ideas and opinions are, well, that also would be Jesus's opinions. And so so when you when you when you read arguments of, well, Christ would obviously be this and you're like, "Oh, strangely enough, that's how you think." <laughs> you know, like <laughs> as the person arguing that's that's ironic. And then the person arguing against it's like, well, obviously Jesus would be like this. Oh, really? Well, that's funny because I've just scrolled through your timeline and that's exactly how you think. And so I think that's that's an amazing point that you're actually you've brought up, which is we're not we're not we're not being told to make Christ fit into our opinions. And by the way, this is a tough pill for a lot of us to swallow, sometimes even within the church politically, socially, or whatever, is that, is that no, Jesus isn't there to make us feel better about whatever our opinions actually are. It's completely the other way around, which is what would Christ do? And by the way, that can be tough sometimes because that might be a little bit uncomfortable to go, all right, well, that actually, that actually isn't what I'm doing, or maybe that isn't exactly what I think or believe socially or politically or whatever that is. And then when you have enough people in general conference or through talks or through the scriptures kind of over and over say, hey, maybe you're looking at this wrong. Our responsibility is to go, well, what would Christ do in this situation? And then to go, okay, is that what we're doing in this? Is, is that the behavior or the the belief that I have or the thought that I have? And if not, it's not... Jesus's responsibility to go, well, let me kind of fit into your worldview. You know, no, I'm sorry. That's just not the case, right? What would Jesus do as simple as it is? It's like, that's, that's what it means to take upon us the name of Christ. And when we look at it in, in a situation like you brought up, how would he be as an employer? Well, I don't think that he would just let you come in and do a crappy job and be like, well, because I love you, I'm just going to let you do whatever you want. No. Well, we'll go to the parable of the king's feast, right? Friend. Friend, why are you not we dressed? Talk, that's exactly, we talked about it tonight. How can I help you get dressed? What, I'm what providing can I do? you the uniform. Put it on. 
what what can we do? What can we do to help you execute in concordance with what's happening here? Yes. And if you're not willing to, there's the door. Well, look at the parable of the talents, as you know that I like to do. People want so badly to not make that about like responsibilities. Oh, that's just the that's just singing in the choir. No, it's not. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. But the thing is, but even then, the point still is, is, okay, cool. Well, in these daily situations, we need to look and go, okay, cool. If if that's the name that we bear, we need to act like Jesus would in those situations. And then it becomes the bigger question is, well, then how do we know how to act in those situations? Well, luckily, like you talked about earlier, part of the covenant of taking upon ourselves the name of Christ comes with something in return. Jason, you brought it up tonight, and I think that that's, I think that's the answer, which is that we will always have his spirit to be with us. That's how you know. And by the way, I don't think there is a uniform way. In, in some situations, look at how Christ, look at how Christ interacted with various sinners throughout in, in different circumstances. Look at, look at when he healed people, by the way, of the same illnesses in different ways. And so even then there's a lesson to be learned in that too, I think, which is even, even this isn't as simple as going, well, Jesus would be a Republican or Jesus would be a Democrat or Jesus would be a communist or Jesus would be an anarchist because he kind of was all of those things at different points. <laughs> my, 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 what am I? Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. And so, and so the, the, how, how would Jesus act as a boss? I don't know it, because I, I, I would need to be in a situation where I could then go, okay, cool, man. I probably should be living right so that inside I will, I will know when that moment arises how to behave or how to act or how to respond or how to lead or how to follow because Christ did all of those things differently in different circumstances. My, my, my favorite in elementary school, there was a kid. When, when a teacher asked him, what would Jesus do? And his response shocked, shocked me, and, and I'll never forget it. Probably shoot him with lightning. That was his response. <laughs> oh, man. And, and you know... I've seen Ark of the, uh, <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Ark one too many times. And I don't know if he was necessarily wrong. I That's mean, it's... amazing. It's an interesting point to bring up, because sometimes... Sometimes we don't always know what he would do, or sometimes we don't. But, but Nate, you hit on this so well, the idea that you have the Spirit there, right? Christ did what his Father did, what his Father showed him to do, and we try to follow the same. But the thing is, we don't have to guess. If we have the Spirit, and if we can ask God or we're close to the Spirit to know how we should act, that should drive our interactions with people on a day-to-day basis and in situations where sometimes it calls for a little bit of this or a little bit of that. And you can't just put it in a nice clean box and say, Christ was this, uh, like, like you said, going with, with different groups. And I think we go back to where we started with in this episode. When, when Isaiah's talking, he, he's got the Lord having his conversation with Israel. And Israel's like, I, I've afflicted myself. I've been fasting and you're not hearing me. You're not answering my prayers. And, and God said, that's because you're making it about you. 
And, and so many times we do try to make it about us and we're so concerned about what am I going to do or how am I going to live and what can I get and what do I need that we're missing the needs of those around us. And, and that's maybe what Christ taught us most is he came here looking for the needs of the people around him. How can I serve them? How can I make it better? And, and that being in mind, I don't think there is any greater social cause today than that of a missionary, that of somebody who can go out and introduce somebody to Christ, who he was, and get to know Christ and get to know what it means to be like Christ, to be able to, to, to fix all the ails of the world. And, and as more people learn and as poor people get the, more people get the spirit and more people are aware of the needs of those around them, I feel like we have the power to, to heal the world that way. And we'll see these beautiful promises that Isaiah promises with the, the last days. Amen, brother. Fantastic. All right. What are we talking? Are we still in Isaiah next week? Done with Isaiah. We get to go to Jeremiah. <sighs> and then? Ezekiel. And then? And Lamentations with, and then, with Jeremiah. And, and Daniel. And then Daniel. I've been waiting for Daniel. This is, this, I've been, I keep thinking Daniel's next and then, I'm I think we have like three left. That he's not three episodes between here and Daniel. I'm already getting uh, my Daniel playlist together of all of the different <laughs> Daniel songs. You know, we we're going to get some Bat for Lashes. You know, we're going to get some Elton John. We're gonna we're gonna have a we're gonna have a beautiful musical moment when we get to Daniel. All, all of my favorite. Should I give him a preview? I'm just kidding. I'm not giving him a preview. <laughs> all right. Uh, great stuff today, Jason. Until next week. See ya. See ya.